In the parasha we find a love for a dayan of taking shaykhad, of taking bribery. There's actually two psukim in the Torah that speak about this iser for a dayan to take shaykhad, very similar psukim with slight variation. One pasuk is in Tarshish Mishpatim, where it says, V'shaychad lo'isikach ki ha'shaychad ya'adar pikchem yisalat yivrei tzadikim. You shouldn't take shaychad, because shaychad has the ability to blind the eyes of wise people and to make the righteous words crooked. That's the pasuk in Mishpatim. A similar pasuk in Shaytim, lo'isikach shaychad, Instead of pikkim, we use the lashon chachamim. We solve debrei tzadikim. Aaron Suvis and Avkopei speaks about the psychology behind shaychad. Why is it that when a person, when a dayan takes shaychad, all of a sudden his vision, his opinion? His view gets very distorted and he can't judge in an accurate way. A judge is supposed to have a mind that's impartial. A judge is supposed to be very rational. A judge is supposed to be very on the ball, seeing who's right, who's wrong, facial expressions, halacha. You have to be the full package to be a diamond. You have to be very wise, very sophisticated very street smart and yet suddenly when a person gives a bribe to the judge he can't see straight anymore a person who is very smart very wise, very shrewd all of a sudden a few dollars comes before his eyes into his pocket and he can't see right from wrong anymore, it's a funny thing but that's the way it is why is this? So the Gemara says in Suvis and Avkofeyam and Aleph, my Shaykhad, the Lashon of Shaykhad, really speaks to the essence of what Shaykhad is. What is Shaykhad? What is the root of the word Shaykhad? Shehu Chad. Shehu Chad means he is one. What does that mean, he is one? Rashi explains. The person who gives the bride and the judge who is makabel the bride become fused together. They become synthesized into one being. How does that happen? Sarah elaborates. My time of the shaykhada, what's the reason for shaykhad? Kivan de kabele shaykhada. Minei, as soon as I take shaykhad from you, we become very close, we become like one. You become my good buddy. We become unified in purpose. And once we're the same being, I can't see negative in myself. We know that. A lot of times a person, everyone else in the room knows that a certain person has an issue, but that person himself cannot see the issue that he has. That's the human, that's part of the human experience. We ourselves cannot see ourselves in the true light. 
everybody else knows that we have a Gaiva issue, that we have a Yitzhahara issue, that we have a Pass issue. When I look at the mirror, I don't see, in the mirror, I don't see any of that. I just see a very perfect person. So, when a person is able to take a bribe from another person, just like the judge himself cannot see anything wrong with himself, by extension, now that somebody has given him a bribe, he can't see anything wrong with that person either because we're one. As soon as I take something from you, we are comrades, we're, we're buddies, we're together. Just like I can't see anything wrong with myself, a person never sees bad in him. I'm always biased towards myself. I will naturally be biased to the person that gave me that handout, that bribe, that gift. Because me and him are chad, shechadu, shaychad. We're one. Gemara says, not only is it true when you accept a bribe to make the guy that's guilty, innocent. But even if the guy who is guilty, he gives me a bribe. Even if the guy that's innocent gives me a bribe, and just to make sure that I'm going to say he's innocent, it's also awesome. Don't say, well, okay, I'm not going to take a bribe from the guy that's guilty, but I think he's innocent. So it's not, what's the end of the, you know, it's not, not the worst thing in the world if I take money from him, because anyway I was going to say he's innocent. Even that is shaykhad. A person has to maintain impartiality. When he's a judge, you always have to be able to see things evenly balanced and weigh the pros and the cons of the case on on their own merit. And you cannot have a distorted view when it comes to being a dine. You have to be spot on. And shaykhad does not permit a person to be impartial. The same way that I cannot be impartial to myself, I cannot be impartial to the person that gave me the bribe because me and him are one and the same. We become the same. Gemara brings a few fascinating stories there in Suvas about great Amirayim who recused themselves from judging because they felt that they could not be impartial. Something happened, a favor was extended, and because of that favor, they felt that they, they could not judge the case favorably. Little things, not big things. Nobody gave them a million dollars under the table. The Gemara says, like Shmuel, he was crossing over the bridge to be the judge, and somebody comes and extended his hand just to help him over the bridge. And then he sat down with his robes as a dayan, and all of a sudden, who was one of the litigants before him? The guy that helped him cross the bridge. Wasn't a big thing he did for him. No money was exchanged. No words were exchanged. Just an extended hand. And Shmuel says, I'm sorry, I cannot be the dying here. Amemar, he sat down to judge. And a little feather from a bird was like on his lapel, on, his, on, his, on top of his shoulder. And one of the litigants came and says, Amemar, um, you know, you have a little feather, and let me just take that off. Amemar immediately got up and says, I cannot judge this case favorably. He did me that favor. Was it a big favor? No. It's a little thing. Just a little hair that was on my... I'm out. I can't judge favor. That's shaykhad. To me, that's shaykhad. Marukva, there was some spit in front of him on the ground 
somebody came and covered over that spitzer that he not need walk on top of it. Turns out that he was one of the Baladin and Marukva says, I cannot be a judge here. I pass on myself now from being a judge because this is going to distort my vision. As hard as I try to be able to maintain impartiality, but automatically I'm going to favor that person that did me that favor, albeit the most slightest favor in the world. What was it already? Nothing. That too is considered to be shaykhah. Now, when we think about a dayan taking shaykhah, we think perhaps of like some really crooked judges. Some really like some hillbilly judges from who knows where that, you know, uh, some taking some money and like judging in a bad way. The Chavitz Chaim says the following amazing vart. Chavitz Chaim says, let's say you're sitting and talking to somebody that's very wealthy. Let's say you were in a room with Warren Buffett. And Warren Buffett tells you, you're talking about a certain other individual, and Warren Buffett says, oh, that guy, he's very wealthy. If Warren Buffett is saying about a certain person that he's wealthy, you could rest assured that that guy's rich. If somebody that's poor, if a homeless guy says, oh, that guy has money, all right, you know, like, all it means is that he has more money than he has. But if somebody extremely wealthy is saying that somebody else is rich, that means that he's really wealthy. Let's say somebody that's really smart says about somebody else that he's smart. Let's say Albert Einstein comes and says that that guy, he's really good in math. If I say somebody's really good in math, that just means that they are able, they know the common core that I don't know. Whenever I try to help my my kids out with the math, with this new common core, I'm complete. I used to be good at math, now I know nothing. It's an amazing thing. They took a beautiful thing. <laughs> no, geometry is a beautiful chachma. Algebra is a beautiful chachma. Math, and they, they went and they mamish like distorted it to the point that you don't recognize it anymore. And it became like everybody hates math now because of this common core. My kids want me to vote for Trump because he promised to get rid of the common core. So I have to vote for Trump. So let's say Albert Einstein, the Chvaydev Akhtar, would say that somebody else is very, very smart. You could imagine that that would be that person's taka very smart. If let's say Shlaima HaMelech would say that somebody's smart. Shlaima HaMelech was the Chacha Mikol Adam. He was the smartest human being ever to tread this earth. If Shleim HaMelech would say that a certain person is a Chacham, that's money in the bank that the guy's a Chacham. Let's say the Rebbeinu Shleim says that somebody's a Chacham. That's the ultimate Haskama, that the person is a real wise person. The Rebbeinu Shleim himself is the Ein Saif of Chachma. If he says somebody's a Chacham, that means he's a bona fide Chacham. The Rabbeinu Shleilam says the Chavetz Chaim writes in the Torah that you shouldn't take Shaychad. Ki Chachamim. Even the eyes of a Chacham, Shaychad, could blind. 
The Rebbein Shalom is calling the Dayan a Chacham. You can imagine that if he's calling him a Chacham, he's a true Chacham, in the truest sense that he's not like a, a fake Chacham. You know, a guy that he's passing himself off as a Chacham, but really is just a crooked judge. He's a real Chacham. And yet, even somebody that the Rebbein Shalom, the Chvaytai of Atzmai, calls a Chacham, the Rebbein Shalom is saying, be careful from Sheikhat, because even you, you Chacham, you real Chacham, could be blinded. This Sheikhat has the ability to distort the vision of even the greatest Chacham impossible. People that are beyond reproach, people that are G'dayle Eilam, people that are smart to the degree that the Rabbi Shalom himself called them a Chacham, you have to beware of Shaykhad. You are not able to get around it. If you take Shaykhad, even if you think I'm smart enough and I'm able to rise to the occasion, I cannot be affected by Shaykhad, that's how bright I am. Don't think that. Because the Torah is saying, as smart as you are, I am Hashem, I'm calling you a Chacham. I'm acknowledging that you're very smart. But Shaykhad is like kryptonite to you. As soon as you get, even in the Dalad Amis of Shaykhad, it's going to distort your perspective on things. You will not be able to judge anything favorably. You are completely in the spell, under the spell of Shaykhad. You will automatically lean and tilt in the direction of that person that gave you the Shaykhad. There's no way around it. Your Chachma will not help you one iota because there's something about Shaykhad that makes you incapable of seeing the truth when it's right before you. There's an amazing story to give you a, an example of some G'dayle Eilam, on the highest levels of Chachma, and how they themselves were Margish that Shaykhad is so destructive. Besides, we already spoke about the Gemara. We don't really need to give too many examples. We have Amema, we have Shmuel, we have Marukpa, we have Gedai Lehelam already in the times of the Gemara that felt that they couldn't judge favor, judge somebody normally because they got a little bit of Shaykhad. But even in more recent times, you know, the Taz and the Bach, there were a few famous fathers-in-laws and sons-in-law in Jewish history. In the Gemara we find certain great Amirayim and Tanoim that were sons-in-laws of one another. But throughout history, some major personalities were G'daylem, both the father-in-law and the son-in-law. In this generation we have Rebel Yashiv and Rechaim Kanievsky. Mamash the G'daylem, the highest echelons of godless in both of them. Father-in-law Rebel Yashiv was the father-in-law of Rechaim Kanievsky, Yibadu Lechaim. Rebbe Kiva Eger, was the father-in-law of the Chassam Seifer. The Chassam Seifer's first wife was Niftara, and, and the Shidduch was proposed. There's a cute story about between Rabbi Kiveger and, uh, and the Chassam Seifer, how the Chassam Seifer felt that he wasn't, uh, he, wasn't, he, he, he wasn't capable of marrying the daughter of Kiveger, and Rabbi Kiveger felt that he wasn't worthy of having a son-in-law like the Chassam Seifer. They are both very big on Novim. But anyway, the Shidduch was made, they got married. And another great father-in-law and son-in-law was the Taz and the Bach. The Taz was the son-in-law of the Bach. The Taz and the Bach both were great commentators on Shulchan Aruch. 
And the Taz was the son-in-law of the Bach. Many, many stories about this relationship as well. Fascinating relationship that they had. Um, but the Taz once came for Shabbos to the house of the Bach, of his father-in-law. And he asked his father-in-law if he could hold, like I guess in his safe, certain valuables over the course of Shabbos. You go to a hotel and you put your valuables in a safe. I guess he came, he had stuff he wanted to have a safe place for. So he asked his father-in-law, the Bach, whether or not he could keep stuff in his safe. He said, sure. So he gives him like a whole lot of bills. And he says, could the, could the Shver keep this in his safe? Now, normally the Bach was very, very friendly to the Taz. There's a son-in-law, so he was very warm to him, and he was, they talked in learning, and they were, you know, they loved each other. This Shabbos, the, the Bach was like very cold to the Taz. The whole Shabbos, it was like he wasn't, he was like giving him the cold shoulder. Very, very, you know, he didn't know what to do with himself, the Bach. He was so not comfortable in the presence of his son-in-law. And it was a little strange. But the Taz didn't say anything until after Shabbos, and when he was getting ready to leave, he says, can I ask you, you know, you weren't acting the same way as you always do with me. You're always so warm and nice and taking care of me and like a son, and, and now, like, you're just, you're cold this Shabbos. What happened? So the Bach says, I'm upset. So he says, why, why are you upset? He says, because you have all that money and you're a Pisces. And I assume that where did you get all that money? Where does a guy like you come up to come up, come into so much money? You don't I know what you have, I know what you make, you don't have that much money. It must be that you took some shaykhat from somebody. This is the Bach talking to the Taz. You have to understand who these people are. This isn't you and me. This, these are these are Malachi Elyon. But the Bach was Khaishid that his son in law, the Taz, took Shaykhat. And the Taz immediately explained to his father-in-law that that's not what the money came from. Trust me, I don't take Shaykh Baruch Hashem. says, I had a vision problem and I need to go to a specialist. And in fact, that's why I'm going, I'm staying by your house for Shabbos and I'm going straight to Warsaw or wherever to, to go to the biggest doctor in the, in the field. It takes a lot of money to pay that doctor. And my children went and they begged, borrowed and got the money together for me to pay that doctor, and that's what the money was from. And then, only then, was the Bach finally at peace with his son-in-law, the Taz. But what do you see from this story? You see that even a Chacham on the Madrega of the Taz was sort of being accused by the Bach of taking Shaykhah. Because it's very easy to do that. It's very easy to take shaykhat in one form or another. And once you take shaykhat, you're finished. One of the other great commentaries, commentators for Shulchan Aruch is called the Sma. The Sma stands for Sefer Meira Seinayim. And he was a, a, a tremendous guy in Eilam. And the story goes that one day he went to a dintaira with somebody else. He was a litigant in a dintaira. And he was defending his own case. He was making a case for the reason why he he's owed the money, not the other guy. 
and he was fighting tooth and nail for his shita that I'm owed this money and he marshaled all types of makairis from shots from Paiskim that I'm right against him the Dayanim Paskin against him after the Dintar was over one of the Dayanim came and said I want you to know don't be upset with me that I Paskin against you because you know which Akrain I used, you know which 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 Pesach I used, which safer was my source to Paskin against you? No. I used a safer called Sefer Meira Sainayim. Your Sefer I used as my source to Paskin against you. He says, what are you talking about? He pulls out a sma and he shows them chapter and verse right there in the sma that the case against the Sma was made by the Sma himself. The Sma himself was defending his case in court because there was money on the line, because he was he was stand, standing to make a, to lose a lot of money. And so he made up a case for himself. But in fact when he was postuning for somebody else, he saw things much differently. The Sma immediately on the spot, this is all brought by the way, this is not this is brought in the Chuvas Ksav Seifer. The Ksav Seifer brings us in one of his Chuvas the story. And he says that as soon as the Sma saw this, black and white, that he went against his own stock because he had Nagias, he says, Now I see how true it is the words of that Gemara and Suis that we said before that a person is so biased to himself. When it comes to me, I cannot see clearly. I have a certain inability to see the truth when it's about me. And when somebody gives me a shaykha, then it becomes about us, and I still can't see clearly. This is the power of shaykha. This is what shaykha does to a person. Fascinating story that's brought about the Ayyub Yisrael, the Apter Rebbe. The Apter Rebbe was once a Dayan. He was passing a Din It's an amazing story. And he, let's say, they met on a, the first day of the Din was a Monday. Monday, they took a break at the end of the day and they were going to continue the case on Tuesday. By the end of Monday... The Apter Rab was already convinced that Reuven was right and Shimon was wrong. What happened is, the next morning, when they were going to continue the case, so the Apter Rab put, hung up his coat on, on a coat hook somewhere in the hall of the Bestin. And this Shimon, who was things weren't looking too good for, and the Apter Rab thought that he was for sure guilty. Shimon went and took, I don't know, a thousand dollars cash and put it in the pocket of the Apterov's coat. He didn't give it to the Apterov, he just put it in his pocket. The Apterov didn't wear that coat. He was sitting already waiting to be done the case. And all of a sudden, the Apterov, who was convinced that Shimon was wrong, today on Tuesday, with a whole new a whole new vision that he had of Shimon. Shimon all of a sudden started looking really good to him. And the case started looking not so clear-cut. Reuven started looking like he was the liar and Shimon was the guy telling the truth. 
And it didn't, it didn't sit well with Yaptarov that he had such a change of heart from Monday to Tuesday. And so he asked to take a break. He wanted to go for a little walk outside just to clear his head because he felt like he was so distorted, like his vision was so foggy that he wasn't able to... Something was wrong. Puts on his coat and he takes a shvatsir, he takes a walk outside and he puts it, his cold day, and he puts his hands in his pocket and he finds that thousand dollars cash in his pocket. And he says, now I understand why I started feeling like this, this, this magnetic pull towards Shimon's case because Shimon bribed me, but I didn't know that I was being bribed. And that's the toxic power of Shaykhaz, he said, that even when you don't even get it in your hand, you don't even know that you were bribed. It still does something to you. He says, that's the chat in the Pasuk, that it's Ma'avar Ene Tzadikim, it's Ma'avar Ene Chachamim, V'yisalev Divrei Tzadikim, and it's able to make crooked the words of Tzadikim. He says, what type of Tzadik is this guy? What do you mean? He took Shaykhaz. How big of a Tzadik could he be? He was on the take. How can he be a the tires okay, you could be a chacham on the take. How can you be a tzaddik on the take? The answer is that you could be a tzaddik. He said, I'm a tzaddik. I didn't know that I was taking shaykhad. But still you could be a tzaddik, but if there's shaykhad that was given to you, even unbeknownst to you, it's Yisalek Divrei Tzadikim, it's able to make crooked and distort the words of tzaddikim. Such is the power of shaykhad. You might be wondering, how is he going to make this shmooz practical? I mean, I don't see too many dayanim in the room, and we're not judges, we're not dayanim, we're not paiskim, so what is he getting at? But the truth is that this is very nagea to all of us. Because all of us, whether we realize it or not, are dayanim. We are constantly in a situation that we judge others and we judge situations. First, let's start with judging others. Every single person is a Dayan. There's a great book that's written by Rav Hennef Teller. And the book is very good. It's being done with but the, the title of the book is great. It's called Courtrooms of the Mind. And what that means is, is that every situation that we're in, we're always, the mind is always a courtroom. We're always judging situations and people constantly. When the Mishnah and Avi says, Avi Danis Kaladim it's not talking to a Dayan. You should judge every person favorably, that's talking to you and me. We're not Dayanim. But we have to judge other people in the courtrooms of our own mind. We have to judge people favorably. And we can't take shaykhad. I remember as a child, I was in an elementary school, a good one, and there was a certain boy in the class, and for some reason, the teachers always loved that kid. 
whatever, you know, he had a certain chain, he was, uh, you know, a very handsome boy, and he was very smart, and he looked good always, like he, you know, just he, just he was one of those kids that, you know, that everybody, like, had just found pain in. And no matter what he did, the Rebbe always, like, looked the other, if he did right, the Rebbe would like, wow, it's amazing, you did amazing, it's, you know, always a hundred in every test. And even when he did wrong, nobody would even acknowledge that he did anything wrong. And I found that very, very problematic. And it bothered me. It's inevitable that certain people have pain, but that's a that's a shaykhad. It wasn't fair on the Rebbe's part that other people would get punished or other people would not do as well just because the Rebbe had a favoritism towards that buffer. That's shaykhad. A Rebbe is also a dayan. Now, it's natural that a Rebbe should like you know, certain people more than others, perhaps if, let's say, they're nicer to the Rebbe, or they're, they come to more things that the Rebbe gives, etc. But in a sense, it's not, it's not really good chinuch. Chinuch, as a, a Rebbe should be impartial. A Rebbe should have a, the same exact level of love and respect for all Bafram and Ashiram equally. A parent with children is the same thing. The Gemara speaks very, very emphatically about the fact that because Yaakov favored Yosef with a little bit of extra silk in his baggage and his sinus passim, terrible things happened. He had a pain. Yosef was Yifas Taya, Yifas Mara. His father loved him. But it's not really fair. A father and a mother have to look at all their children Equally, whenever I was when I was young, I used to ask my father, "Who do you like better, me or my sister?" So he would always say, "Which finger do I like the best? Do I like this finger the best or that finger the best?" You have to be equal. You have to. You can't have shayfat to somebody. You can't like one child more than the other, even if you naturally have some sort of draw to one child over the other. You have to try to make sure that they don't feel that. Because that's shaykhad. Shaykhad is going to slant your eyes in one direction. And it's a very, very dangerous thing. This is true with so many things in life. We have to try to be fair and balanced and equal. In In all of our dealings in life, we have to try to not have any distortions, any impartialities. But more important than judging others not equally, Rabbi Dessler speaks about something that's so pertinent to us. And that is how we have to understand that whatever we do in life, we have a certain affinity towards slanting things in a way that's not good for us. I'll give you a muscle. Smoking. Smoking is a great muscle. Now, smoking today is not really so popular. 
as I mean, it's it is popular throughout the world. If you go to Israel or Europe, I think everybody's smoking. But in America, let's say, it became very, very not cool to smoke, at least in certain circles. And but yet, you find many people that are smokers, and not people that are just like you know unsophisticated people out in the street. You find very chashiva, smart people that are smoking. I once was walking by Sloan Kettering Hospital in Manhattan, which is the top hospital, cancer hospital in the world, perhaps. And cancer, obviously, is caused, a lot of it is caused by smoking. And Outside of that hospital, I couldn't believe what I saw. There were doctors and nurses that were smoking away by their lunch break, by their coffee break, whatever it was. They are smart people. They see the ravages of smoking every single day. But for some reason, they smoke. How does that happen? The answer is very simple. Because the taiva that they have to smoke is something which is shaykhad. The etzahara of taiva makes it so gishmat to smoke and says in your ear, you're going to really enjoy that cigarette. It's, so, it's going to really make you feel better. And because of that, I become one you become one the Sahara and you the Taiva and you become one and I can't see clearly I know my mind is telling me don't smoke my mind knows I've done all the studies myself I've operated on people that have cancer I've spoken to people that have cancer I know I've, I've buried people that have cancer so what are you smoking for? Are you crazy? The answer is When you're a Chacham and you think you know it all stop because the fact that you were given Shaykha the fact that that Taiva is whispering in your ear take it, you're going to enjoy it that itself will blind you you're not able to see clearly you can't possibly make a good decision in life. You don't know the truth anymore because you want it so badly. It's diet. Person wants to go on a diet. He knows or she knows it's just not good. I'm eating too many starches and I'm I'm having too much ice cream and I'm it's just I gotta stop. Stop. It's not healthy. But yet Next day you made a Kabbalah, the next day you're eating and you're doing everything that you shouldn't be doing. How did that happen? You know better. You read all the books, you know the stuff. It's Shaykhan. Pure and simple. I want it. The Yitzhahara is telling me, take it. I become one with that Yitzhahara. I become one with that Taiva. And I do it. This is true for every single Taiva in the world. You name it. The HR whispers in our ear, do something. It doesn't make sense. I don't want to do this. You go back to the dorm at night. You don't want to do that out there, whatever it is. 
You don't want to watch that. You don't want to do that. You don't want to think about it. But somehow, some way, you're in a situation. You have the ability to do it. You know you don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But the HR says, do it. It's fine. You deserve it. You had a long day, hard day. You need to unwind a little bit. Do it. But I can't. I don't want <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's fine. You can do it. You suddenly become together with that Yetzirah, one. And you tilt the balance of the scales of the courtrooms of your mind to seeing things so distortedly that you actually make it like a mitzvah to do it. And the next day you feel like horrible. That's the Kayak of Shaykhad. Shaykhad could take a... You're a Chacham. You're not a Kippish. You're not an Avarian. You're not a person that can't see things clearly. I could give Aces to the world about what's right and what's wrong. I could preach to the world. But when it comes to myself, the Sahara has that unique ability to feed me Shaykhad and to enable me to do things that are completely not me but yet I'm led down that path by the Sahara, who has mishaped me time and time again. Chaim Malajner is one of the great G'dayle'elam. And he had a Talmud. And the Talmud went off the derech. People think that going OTD is something that happened, you know, 15, 20 years ago. That's, that's when this concept of going off the derech started. And but before that, everybody was perfect. No one ever went off the derech. If you grew up from, you stayed from, till, you know, from cradle to grave. But that wasn't true. We know that that's not true. There were many masculine, many people that did not make it through the yeshiva system. They went off the derech, unfortunately. And believe it or not, Rav Chaim in the Velazhin yeshiva had such a Talmud, he went off the derech. Years later, he bumped into Rav Chaim Velazhin somewhere, and he wasn't from anymore. No yarmulke and long hair and the whole nine yards, and Rav Chaim says, what happened to you? Like, you know, you just left the Velazhin yeshiva like that, and this is what you became? Laman Hashem, like, how did that happen? What was the evolution? So he said, Rabbi, he says, I had many, many kashas on Yiddishkeit. I had so many kashas on my Amunah and Bitochen and this and that. A lot of philosophical, deep philosophical questions that really were gnawing at me. And that led me to go off. I just couldn't live with it anymore. And then he said to Chaim Malajanar, he says, Rabbi, if you have a few minutes, now I could, you know, we could talk about it. I could ask you my questions. Maybe you could finally resolve them for me. Give me some good terutzim. So Chaim thought about it. He says, okay, I'll do that. But I have one question. Before we start getting into this discussion, I have one question. Before these questions started coming into your mind, were you either a very severe Aveira, yes or no? And this quote, this guy a little bit off guard, he wasn't ready for that question, and he says, Rabbi Eschatayim, I remember now, everything is clear, as if it was yesterday. He says, 
there was a uh, you know situation that I was in uncompromised. I, I slipped up with a terrible avera while I was in yeshiva, and from that day on, I had a lot of kashas on Yiddishkeit, and that's really what ultimately led me astray. So Chaim says, I thought so. He says, and if that's the case, I'm sorry, but I can't answer what you want to discuss. He says, because I could answer Kashis, but I can't answer Terutsim. And what he meant to say was that when a person does an Avera, he becomes very distorted. His brain becomes distorted. And then once your brain becomes distorted, now you want to explain your actions. But it's very difficult to. So you know what you do? You come up with all different types of philosophical reasons why I don't even think God exists. Because that way I'm able to have my taiva. The Yitzhahara whispers, he's very smart, the Yitzhahara. He knows that it's not going to go just to, you know, he has to be able to allow you to believe that maybe it's not so pushed all the Amuna, all the Adimalikrim. And once he does that, then he's able to maintain that steady stream of Averis because he has you right where he wants to. Where he wants you. This is what the Kayach of Shayachacham. These are Kachamim that we're talking about. But when a person has the Yitzhahara, and we all have the Yitzhahara, he's not able to see things clearly. And once we start getting seduced by the Yitzhahara, then even a Chacham, all bets are off. Sometimes we find, Baruch Hashem, it's not so common, but it's common enough that you find very Chashver Abanim, important rabbis, highly acclaimed rabbis, and then all of a sudden some scandal erupts and you find that they were nichshal in some really sordid Averis. And like you say, what? How did that happen? And it's a terrible Chil Hashem for sure. It's terrible Bizyanis for himself, for his family, for the community, for Klal Yisrael. It's terrible. But everybody starts writing articles about this and that and, and I'm not justifying anything. Don't get me wrong. It's a terrible thing. But the fact that the person was a Chacham and he was a huge Talmud Chacham does not mean that it's inexplicable that he should do such a thing. Fakert, the Torah is saying in this week's Harsha, Ki You could be the smartest guy in the room, you could be a Baki and Shas and Shulchanach, backwards and forwards. But if you have Shaykhad, if you take a little bit of Shaykhad, you cannot see clearly and it leads you down a path to oblivion. And we're all susceptible to it. Every single one. You could be a big masmid. You could be a tremendous tzaddik. You could be a wonderful human being. A very formayid. But if the Sahara starts feeding you a little shaykhad, and we all have that in our system. We all want that rush. The taiva. The smoking. The alcohol, the gambling, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Everybody has some vice that they feel they need. 
And if the Yitzhahara is able to convince you to take a little, now you're completely under a spell and you could, you're liable to do anything that you, that, that you don't want to do, but you'll do it anyway. Rib Dessler speaks about this greatly. In his forum. And basically he says, I want to just read to you, there's, I mean, the Mithmel in in Lashna Kaidish is in Chalik Aleph, and it's from page 56 to 60, but the English version of the of the Mithmelio just puts it so beautifully. The author was it's the same author of the one that wrote the Hebrew Mithmelios, Ari Carmel, he was from England, so he has the Queen's English. Very, very beautiful, beautifully written. Let me just read to you a few things that it's just very powerful. He says, How then can we ever hope to arrive at true decisions in matters which involve seeing bad about ourselves in the most literal sense of the word, such as admitting our own faults and accepting views which would oblige us to do things which are difficult for us and to refrain from activities which are attractive to us? Meaning, how could we do it? How could we ever know what we're doing is right or wrong? Because maybe I'm always bribed. I can't see anything wrong with myself, so how do I know when I think I'm doing good with my life? Who says it's really good? Maybe I'm off. And when, I, when I'm tempted to do bad, I'm going to do bad. How do I ever get out of this mess? Man, I'm always going to have that negias to myself. I'm always going to pat myself on the you You did great today. Really? Who said? You I, say, I can't say it about myself. That might not be true. And if I say that I'm allowing myself to do a certain Avera, obviously that can't be good. And he says, if one deviation from the truth distorts a judge's whole system of thought, what can we say about ourselves who from our youth up have been used to making weak excuses for ourselves, minimizing the extent of our failings and exaggerating our good points? Meaning, if even a judge who sees things with his, with his worldview of Shulchan Aruch, he's not able to see something clearly, what are we going to say? How are we going to be able to know for a fact that whatever we say, whatever we think is really true? It's probably very biased. So how do we trust ourselves? We're so tilted in the direction of what we want and seeing ourselves in the best light. So we're all in Adam Raya. A person doesn't see anything wrong with himself. So how do I know that whatever, every minute of my life, I'm always, I'm always biased. And if bias so badly distorts the truth, so how do I know if I'm ever living a moment of truth in my life? This is a very famous thesis that the Nechtim worked very hard on. And he says, the conclusion that he comes to is that there is no alternative. We must admit that the intellect is powerless to produce reliable results in any moral problem. An approach to truth can be made only insofar as the heart is cleansed of bias. And since bias is caused by character faults, these must be eliminated and replaced by a strong and burning desire for truth and integrity. The only way that we'll ever be able to really purge ourselves of bias, get rid of the shaitan, is one way. To engage, he says, in Tyra, 
and in Liman Amusar. Liman Amusar is the only promise that we have to really be able to see things clearly. Dessler came from the school of Kelm. The Talmudera of Kelm was a very, very regimented, strict place. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky said he spent one's man in Kelm and he had to leave. He couldn't take it. It was so highly regimented. It was so strict there. Everything was so calculated that he couldn't stay there. As a human being, he felt he wasn't able to stay there. He says, but everybody in life should at least spend one's man in Kelm, he used to say. Because it's so important to know how to really control oneself. This is what Bali Musar do. Bali Musar never trust themselves. And they're always questioning their, their rationale for doing things. And they try to so hit the delete button on all of their internal drives until they're able to once again see things clearly. You know, the Alta from the Vardic, who went, he was a very big Balmusser. He was one of the, the great leaders of, of the Muslim movement. They say he locked himself up in a shack for 12, not days, not months, 12 long years alone. They used to put some food through the window or something. 12 years. I don't know what he did for Minyanim. I don't know what he did. Shabbos, Yantiv, I don't know. But 12 years he put himself in solitary confinement just so that he could work out all the kinks in his system to realize who he is, what he is, what he's doing on this world. Get rid of all the biases that infect our system, that put a virus into us so that maybe, maybe he's going to be able to figure out his mission in life. And you know what? He came out after 12 years. Most people, they come out of solitary confinement of 12 years. They would be completely insane. The author for Navarda came out and he founded the network of Navarda Yeshivas. Dozens and dozens and dozens of Yeshivas he went on to find across Russia, Eastern Europe. It was like a franchise. Navarda were all over the place. Yeshivas in every major and minor city, Navaradik existed. This is what he was able to accomplish, but first he had to figure out who he was, without all the biases, without all the HRs, without the Taivas. This is what Musr does to a person. It's supposed to clean out, cleanse the system, purge ourselves from all of the Yitzharas that give us that Shaykhad, that don't allow us to see things truly. And then Rav Dessler, being the practical person that he is, says, okay, that's great. But what do you and I do until we're able to spend 12 years in solitary confinement? Until we're able to really be Bali Musr and Musr Bislavos. That's what Musr is, by the way. We saw Salanter, when he made up this, this Musr movement, you know what he wanted? He didn't want what we have, like, uh, you know, maybe take out a Muslim safer, space out for 10 minutes, and then, and then you know, go to lunch. Real Musr was intended to be Musr Bidfilis. Musr with a, with, a, with a yearning passion for Musr, with a... I, I once spoke to a gifter in Eretz Yisrael for a long time, and he, he described to me how Musr looked like in tells in Europe. And he said to me that they used to make Musr say they're like on a sliding scale schedule. 
Meaning, they would make it like right by Shkia time. That's when Moshe Seder would start. It wasn't like a set time, like 6 p.m. every night is Moshe Seder. Depends. Depends on when Shkia was. If Shkia was at, you know, at 6.30, so Moshe Seder would start at 6.30. And if it was at 4.30, it would be at 4.30. And what happened? Everybody had their safe from Moshe Seder, Shari, whatever. And every guy would start, must have said, while there was still light coming through the windows, there wasn't so much electricity back in those days in Europe. They would take a single sentence or two from the Musa Sefer, go over it again and again and again until they knew it by heart and they understood clearly the message. And the sun was setting outside, it was Shia time. It was getting darker and darker and darker. And the more dark it became outside, the more uninhibited the Bachram felt. They didn't feel embarrassed. Like right now, if, if somebody would, in the middle of a uh, Seder, or in a, you know, you start screaming a line of a Mesulzasham, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. They're going to call the men in white jackets to come and take you away. But let's say it was like pitch dark the base Madrash, and nobody knows who's screaming and who's doing anything. You could feel a certain sense of freedom of like mamish, like changing yourself, being molded by the words in the Masoches Sharm in a way that's so pure and so pristine and so natural. That was what Rabbi Saul Salanter intended with Musa. That it should really go into our, not just an intellectual thing. We said, okay, I understand. You know what? Somebody once came to me and said, Rabbi, I'm making a CMA after Maya. Would you mind coming? I said, Which Masechta are you making a CMA? No, no, it's not a Masechta. I said, Okay, what, what's it? Mishnaya, Seder, what? No, I'm making a CMA, Masechta Sharm. I finished the Masechta Sharm. So I didn't want to ruin his evening, so I think I went or whatever. But what I was thinking is that you don't make a CM on Masechta Sharm. You know, you make a CM on Chats. Make a seem on Masechta because that means that you've, you've covered a certain amount of material and you know it and you get whatever. And you make a seem. Masechta Sharm is not meant as an intellectual, you know, I, I, I have covered the material that I needed to of this textbook. It's not a textbook, it's life. You don't make a seem on, okay, I breathed, I breathed today because breathing is life. Masechta Sharm was designed to be absorbed into your blood system to, to be felt and I'm not saying that I've ever done this personally but I'm just telling you what what it's supposed to be that's what Musa is it's supposed to change us it's supposed to go into our system so that we don't have these biases anymore that we don't love ourselves so much we don't see Taiva as being so great and that our Chachma can once again be reinstated that we're able to be miscavered over things when they come to us and not make excuses so Dastor says so what do you do in the meantime he says there's only one thing that you can do in the meantime until you become that perfect Balmuthar he says you need to come on to Chachamim you need to ask the guidance of people greater than us he says the famous mushal that the Ramchal and the Sharon brings about a person who in the olden days had a, uh, a maze. It was called a garden maze. And what it was is that you could go sometimes to certain parks around the world and they have these same things like a manicured maze that's made by, by like shrubs that were, that were 
the gardener made into a system of mazes and the point is you have to get just like on a maze on a piece of paper you have to get from one end to the other you have to be able to walk through this maze and get to the end and the Ramchal says it's very hard to do that you know how the best way to get through the maze successfully is if there's a person in the middle of the maze that's on a little bit of an elevated platform and he's been through the maze himself and he knows how to navigate all the corners of the maze until you get, until you get from, to the destination that you want. And he's, he has more of a bird's eye view and he's able to say, okay, now make a right. Now make a quick left and another right. That is the only successful way, he says, to get through the maze of life. And the nimshal is that a person needs to go to a chacham in life to get guidance, to get musr, to get hadracha. So that when you're faced by temptation or when you're faced with big decisions, small decisions, you have you don't have that bias. You're not naturally inclined to always favor yourself. But you're able to make good, solid decisions and know right from wrong. I'll just tell you one thing and then we'll end. From Rav Shach. Rav Shach was the Vigad Ladar, the Shaitai. And he said something very interesting. I just saw yesterday in a Sefer. When he was young, and he wasn't alone, there were many Gedailim, he said he was a very big smoker. And he said that if you would have asked him when he was young, what's your idea of Elam Abba? He says, I'd be very happy to live Lenetzach Netzachim with a Gemara and a cigarette. You give me an Ilam Haba, Gemara and cigarette, I'm a happy man. That's all I need in life. There used to be Bati Medra. It's hard to understand and hard to imagine in our day when it's so politically incorrect to, to smoke. In the old days, there would be Bati Medrashim in America and I show that it Mamish, there was, they used to joke there was a, an Amud Anan. There was like a, 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 like a, a cloud of smoke in the base Medrash. And it wasn't from Cairo because everybody half the place was smoking and there was ashtrays in the big oh, it's like impossible to understand today if somebody smokes and like outside people are giving them dirty looks but to smoke in a room in a basement that's the way it was and he says he was so addicted to smoking that during war a war that was raging people were like in bomb shelters and he was like running through the streets looking for somebody to sell him some cigarettes sort of shaft he went to the doctor one day and the doctor told him that it's a little bit dangerous for your health to smoke. He says, then and there I took my pack of cigarettes, I crumpled it up, I threw it in the garbage and for over 20 years now I have not touched a cigarette. And he says, how did I do that? Now he, he says such a fundamental sight, and I think it's very important for us to hear he says a lot of us think that it's a lack of willpower. When a person is macabre himself, a diet. I have to lose 20 pounds, okay? So for a few days, you know, you stick to the diet perfectly, you're, you know, you're just drinking water, and you're, uh, you know, and that's it. Basically water, 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 and maybe a little bit of uh, fruit here and there, and, and it's going well. And all of a sudden, a few days later, uh, you know, you're back eating pizza again and donuts. What happened? So he says, people think that it's just the chisarin and willpower. So I just, I didn't have the strength of willpower and I had to give in. 
He says, that's not true. It's not because of, people do have willpower. He says that it's because of the kayak of the Kabbalah that you make. It all starts from the initiation, from the acceptance upon yourself of Kabbalah. If a person, he says, really decides, I am going to quit blank, smoking, eating, drugs, alcohol, addiction, whatever it is, whatever it is that is our vice that we've allowed for ourselves, if a person was really, truly sincere at the moment of Kabbalah, he would be able to stick to the Kabbalah. The problem is that already at the moment of the Kabbalah, he was already wavering. I don't think I'll be able to do it. I'll try it. I don't know if I'm going to succeed. If it's Shvach by the Kabbalah, it's going, to be, it's going to eventually fail. He says, at the moment that I said I wasn't going to smoke anymore, he says, I meant it so sincerely. I was so inspired by the fact that it wasn't good for my health, that was such good motivation, that I was strong with my Kabbalah and I stuck that out for 20 years. The thing that I think is very good for us to hear, especially now in Chaydesh El. Chaydesh El is a time that we have to start rethinking our life, recalibrating our day, and making certain small Kabbalahs that I'm going to do things a little different. And it all depends, if we're listening to the Chacham, like the Mifta Melio says that we must do in order to find some truth in life, we have to be able to listen to Rav A person that's able to makabal on himself things in a strong way, with conviction, that's the best way to do it. There are so many guys in Yeshiva that have done so many impressive things over the years that, like, I'm in this love. There was a group of guys a few years ago that they were very, very uh, afraid of the internet, as we all must be. It's a very dangerous machine, the internet. And what they did was they... It's a crazy thing. Like, if I tell the story to people, they mamish can't believe that I'm telling the truth. They have, you know, it's a catch point you need the internet because you have to do research and you have to do your papers and you need uh, whatever. Half of the things in life are, are run by the internet today. But Mitzat Shani, they were nervous because they didn't trust themselves as you can't be. It's ours, Meshachid us. So what they did was the following. There were three roommates and they were very, very hush of a boys, each and every one of them. And they said to one another, let's get together and fix this problem. So it was this time of year, I believe, also. And what they did was, they, I don't know how they did this, but they set up on their computer that you can't go to another page unless everybody puts in their password. So, meaning I can't even access the internet unless my two roommates are in the room. And when I'm on the internet and I want to go from my Google page to, uh, to, to the next page, I have to schlep my two friends over and they have to both put in their passwords and only then can I go to the next page. And they're all, of course, seeing what I'm doing. And then to get to the next page and the next page. They were macabre themselves on themselves to do this and they did this for years it sounds like so impossible. 
But this is how important they took their Kabbalah that they succeeded. There are many, many stories I could tell you. I know it's very late. It's, there are so many stories about how if a person has that Kabbalah, if you really want to do something to change the status quo, if you see that you are constantly being bribed by the Yitzhahara, this Shaykhat is making it impossible for you to see any more right from wrong, and you see how you're constantly slipping up, we all have, I think, at least one vice that we're constantly slipping up with. Try to figure out a brilliant solution. Make a strong Kabbalah, Blinether. Not to. That's the only option. It's the only hope. We can't trust ourselves alone with anything. We don't. We can't. We're so enamored by the Yitzhara with our natural predilections, with our natural pivots, that we can't trust ourselves. The only way to do it is by making strong Kabbalah, Sir Shaf says, and sticking to them in ways that are real and perhaps objective. Meaning non-subjective. If I trust myself and I'm not going to is the only way that we'll be able to be true Dayanim in life to judge situations with somewhat of a non-biased viewpoint and this is the only way that we could go forward searching for truth finding truth in our life and Chaydesh El as we're approaching the Yemei HaRachim and Baruch and the Yemei Adin this is something that I think HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects from us and we should be expecting from ourselves have a good time